Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with John Pistol, president of Anderson University. I didn't feel qualified for any of those jobs. And so God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the call. So I've had a strong sense of calling, God's calling to each of these positions. And so it's been for an amazing journey of, okay, God, you brought me here. What do you have and how can I bring honor and glory onto you? And for me, that's been the key. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, and I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, where we have the intersection of faith and leadership and business in the marketplace. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back to the show. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining us. We get an opportunity here at Bottom Line Faith to travel the country and interview some of the most amazing godly leaders who are using their experience, their skill sets, and their passions to live out their faith in the marketplace. We get to interview entrepreneurs and CEOs and government leaders and athletes and coaches. I, I, I am really excited about today's episode for a couple of reasons. One is I am on the campus of Anderson University in Anderson, Indiana, and I'm in the office of the president, John Pistol. We're going to get to meet John in just a moment. But this this particular setting has great personal meaning to me. I am a 1988 graduate of Anderson University, so I am on the campus of my alma mater. And I am really excited because you all are going to be greatly encouraged and blessed as we get to know John Pistol. John is the fifth president in the 100-year history of the university. So, John, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Hey, Ray, thanks so much. I'm I'm just curious, uh, how many times were you in the president's office while you were a student here? Or was that the dean of students' office? Yeah, that was was the Uh, one. That was the one. One of those, that's right. I know I was certainly in financial aid my fair share, too. (laughs) As a young student working my way through, it was a great experience. I had a business degree, and uh, it's an honor to be here today. Well, thank you. And I happen to be a 78 alum also grad of, of AU. My dad was a professor here, and, and uh, so it's a, just a joy and honor to be here as president, but especially to welcome you in, in your the powerful show and, and just the way that God has used you and worked in your life to be a blessing to others. Oh, that's so kind of you. Thanks. Well, you've had a very interesting pathway mm-hmm. to end up here as president, the fifth president, as I mm-hmm. mentioned, at Anderson University. And I want to get in in just a few moments. We're going to talk about the university, yeah. some of the powerful things that you're doing Mm -hmm. here that really transform a culture and the history and where we're headed as as an institution. Mm. But let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you end up in this place? 
Yeah, so I mentioned my dad was a professor here, so I grew up a block and a half from the campus of Anderson University, which is just 45 minutes outside of Indianapolis. I was the youngest of four kids, and my, my mom was a godly woman, along with my dad, just being a godly man, so raised in a great home. He went to local church here and, and was baptized when I was 12 years old and just on fire for Jesus as a, as a young guy. But unfortunately, that fire not only uh, waned, but, but actually went out, I would say, from my perspective. And so by the time I was 13, I was uh, really rejecting my parents' faith. And, and mm. it, just, it was all about me. And uh, just partying all the time. I was re- really leading a double life. Wow. I was still going to youth, uh, some youth activities at church, but, but it was really just about partying and, and doing things that I knew were wrong, but I didn't really care. And so that really came to a culmination the senior year of high school where I was number one player on the high school tennis team and and hoping for a college scholarship someplace. I was going to be a starting forward on the number one team uh, in the state for basketball, which back at that time was one class is a big deal. Yeah. And then two weeks into my senior year, I was involved in a car accident, which uh, I ended up with a broken neck. And I didn't think I would... Survivor. If I did, I'd be paralyzed because I had a friend break his neck on the high school trampoline the year before, and he was paralyzed from the neck down for a week, and then he, he passed away. So I had a real fear of dying that night, first night in the hospital, and I was literally scared to death of going to sleep because I knew I had rejected God. And I wasn't even trying to bargain or negotiate. I knew I had rejected God. And I knew if I went to sleep that I was not going to wake up. And wow. I was going straight to hell, and um, that I, yeah, I was beyond redemption. So I obviously did wake up, and I really saw it as an opportunity to start a new life. And so I feel like God gave me not only a second chance in life physically, because I had a full recovery. They did spinal fusion, fused three of my vertebrae together. But I was actually able to play four years of basketball and tennis in college a year later, starting a year later. So God gave me a complete physical uh, healing and recovery. But more importantly, he gave me a second chance spiritually. And uh, I know not everybody gets that. I yeah. don't know why I did and my friend on the trampoline didn't. But I have embraced each and every day as literally a gift from God to say, okay, God, uh, what do you have for me today? How can I be a blessing and uh, to others? And how can I honor and glorify your name? That is so powerful. And so you went on to get a law degree, yes, right? Let's talk yeah. a little bit about your college days. Yeah. So I was a pre-law major and thought uh, that I guess I, there was still the human side of me yeah. even after the accident and, and coming back to Jesus. But uh, my goal was to be a, a rich, famous lawyer. And I wasn't all that concerned about the famous part, but I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I just thought, well, lawyers are rich and everything. And so I went to three years of law school and graduated and started practicing. And after my first year of practice, I thought, well, I made a mistake. I, I'm having cases against attorneys been doing this for 30, 40 years. And yes, I'm helping people who are in bad situation, whether divorce or bankruptcy or they've been sued for something. So I thought I was doing some good, but I just didn't have a sense of this is what God was really calling me to do. And so I decided to look around some of other opportunities. And I knew two former attorneys who had joined the FBI as FBI agents. So I talked to them and they said, boy, if you're looking for a change of pace, now you're not going to be in the courtroom practicing law per se. But what I found out, 
most lawyers don't do that. You know, they're behind a desk yeah. doing the paperwork, doing the wills and states and trusts and all that. And so, yeah, I decided to apply for the FBI, and that's a long story. But eventually, um, a year later, after twice being told they wouldn't be able to hire me, once because of my broken neck and the doctor didn't certify, and then another situation, but they eventually did. And so that started almost a 27-year career with the FBI and and doing things that I never dreamed to do, would be doing. And, and uh, yeah, I felt like God was able to use me in ways that I would have never been used if I'd stayed and practiced law yeah. like I started off. And uh, you you had the incredible blessing. You, you reached really the pinnacle. Why don't you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, so after 9-11, so I'd been in, I came, started with the FBI in 1983, so by the time 9-11 happened, I'd been in 18 years and had good experience and was in a, a leadership role. But then with, with 9-11 happening, there was such a shift to counterterrorism, obviously. And so the day after 9-11, Robert Mueller, who had been the FBI director for a week before 9-11 happened, went to the White House to brief then-President Bush on what the FBI knew about 19 hijackers and 15 of the 19 were probably Saudis and trying to piece it all together. And President Bush cut him off pretty quickly and said, well, that's all very well and good, Mr. Director, but I want to know what the FBI is doing to prevent the next attack because there was a real sense that this was just the first wave of attacks that 9-11 was, and there's going to be follow-up attacks, and there was an anthrax attack through letters and mailings and different things, and that was their concern, that was al-Qaeda and all this. And so as a result of that, there was a huge shift of agents and personnel to counterterrorism. I was asked to participate in that, and so I was named the Deputy Assistant Director, the number two guy in this newly formed, or I should say expanded, there was a, a nascent small group of uh, folks in counterterrorism. And so I started doing things, yeah, in terms of briefings to yeah. the Attorney General and briefings on the Hill for Congress and things, and eventually uh, briefings at the White House for the President, Vice President, National Security staff. And so I, I met these people who I'd only read about. Yeah. Um, and then through over the next several years, um, five people above me retired, <laughs> and uh, I get, kept getting promoted. Yes, because I it was one. I was a warm body. I, I was a hard worker, um, and I had integrity, and I also wasn't eligible to retire. So those were, those were some of my best qualities. And so I kept saying yes to the opportunities that uh, that I was presented with. So yeah, eventually in the fall of 2004, just uh, three years later. Uh, director Mueller asked me to, to be his uh, deputy director, the number two person, 35,000 person organization, the, the senior non-appointed position, senior career position, yeah. just something I could have never dreamed of. And uh, yeah, I did that for almost six years. I'm still the longest serving deputy director in FBI history since 1908. And um, so it's just, it was a remarkable opportunity uh, and, and a just a way of, of living out my faith in a way that I just never, never yeah. dreamed. That, that's fantastic. I'm really curious, though, um, as I'm listening to that, mm. I had this picture in my head. I see all these movies, I read novels and everything. So, of course, without giving away any trade secrets that, you know, <laughs> might cause your doors to get busted down sure, by sure. current agents, what would be something that would really surprise people that doesn't get accurately portrayed, whether it be in movies or mm. novels about life at that level? What 
What's something that stands out to you that would be of interest? Well, I think several things. Just so I was in, you know, dozens and dozens, probably in the low hundreds of meetings in what's called the Situation Room at the White House, and then briefing in the Oval Office dozens and dozens of times directly with the president. And I think part of what I took away and what might surprise people is just the humanity of people uh, in terms of we're all people that come in with all of our strengths and weaknesses, and some days are good days and other days not so much. Yeah. And then how all that comes together, and in spite of the humanness and limitations, that good things still come out um, of Washington, at least in, in my experience, yes. and in terms of policies and procedures, and obviously there's a lot of different views on that in yeah. the current era as, as far as uh, the politicization of, of things. But in my experience, and, and so I left uh, the FBI in 2010 when I was asked to go head up uh, the Transportation Security Administration, TSA, and then, then I sport, spent four and a half years there as the, the head of TSA. But during that time, I was just continually impressed uh, not only by the level of excellence and commitment to public service and public duty, but then also from a faith perspective, the, the number of Christ followers that were there who were open about their faith. And I, I think I was surprised in general about the government that, whoa, well, if you're a Christian, you can't ever say, you can't admit that because that's against the rules. Yeah. I found that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. So yeah, I was able to share my faith, especially at TSA, widely. That's incredible. And I've I've often wondered what it would be like to, to like, every morning, first thing is you're thinking problems, problems, yeah. more problems. How, how did you, knowing what you knew, what yeah. was going on in the world and the dangers that we were facing, how did your faith help you navigate that kind of pressure? You're a human being, right? You're yeah. fallible, you're sure. imperfect, Absolutely. as is the president, as is every other leader. And by the way, we should be praying for our government leaders Absolutely. far more than we're criticizing, whether we're well, that's right. conservative, Democrat, we should be praying, and the Bible tells us that. How did your faith na- help you navigate all that? Yeah, so I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ray, because yeah, I, I started off every day early, like 4.15, and, and would have my quiet time at home before I'd leave for the office around 5 and get ready for the morning intelligence, intel briefings that we would do for the director, the attorney general, who then would, both of them would then go to the White House to brief the president. Or if they were out, if the director was out, then, then I ended up going all these times. So I would start off just by giving giving thanks to God for the day, yeah. for the, the opportunities. And we actually developed a, a phrase or expression in the counterterrorism division, no problems, only opportunities to demonstrate character. And for me, that meant to demonstrate a Christ-like character, whether I use those words or not, but that I would treat others with respect, that I would always have integrity, that people knew they could rely on me. In fact, the first time I went with Director Mueller to the Oval Office, Director Mueller is going to be out the following week, so he wanted to introduce me to the president, the vice president, and, and others, because I was going to be in there every day the next week. Director Mueller gave me two pieces of advice. He said, if the president asks you something, say, yes, Mr. President, and then give the answer. But he said, make sure you don't overstate whatever the answer is, and whatever you do, don't make it up. He said, when people are in the president, or in with the president, they want to give information, and they don't want to appear to be uninformed or, or knowledgeable. So the, the tendency is to fill in the blank. I thought, well, I'm never going to do that, but thanks for that advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, by Wednesday, that following week, my third day in there, 
president asked me something, and I knew the first part of it, and I gave it, you know, just nailed the answer, boom, got it. And then I, in my mind, I started to go on to say some more that I thought was the case, but I didn't know, and I caught myself and said, but I'm not sure of the rest of that, so let me get that, and I'll get back with your staff. He said, okay, that's fine. No big thing to him, but for me, it, it was a... A major point. And so just getting back to my morning devotions, thinking about, you know, from the book of James about if we lack wisdom to pray for it and God gives us in abundance. And so I found myself praying for our leaders because here I was meeting. I mean, the president, the vice president, attorney general, these the secretary of state, secretary of defense. So I found myself praying for each one by name. And then after a couple months of that, it occurred to me one morning, I, I think God just gave me the, the, the grace and the insight to say, well, John, you're a leader also. You should be praying for those things for yourself. And what I came up with is that, that old adage about you've got to pay your dues to get ahead. And uh, so I changed that. you got to pray the dues. And it, then I changed that instead of D-U-E-S for paying the dues to D-E-W-S, um, discernment, encouragement, wisdom, and strength. Because those were four things that I knew I needed. I was working long, long hours. And I was physically tired, emotionally, spiritually, even just, wow. just yeah. try to keep up with everything. Um, and then I knew these other people that I was in meetings with, both who worked for me and then I worked for, and then the leaders, you know, the president and others, people were tired. And so I, I was especially focusing, okay, I'm going to pray for them for discernment, encouragement, wisdom, and strength. But I'm also praying for the same thing for myself because I knew, and I, I had a prayer of, that I'd come across years before, and it's the John Wesley Covenant prayer. It starts off in utter dependence upon Jesus Christ as my ever-living Savior, Teacher, Lord, and Friend. I'm sorry, that's a Renovari Covenant prayer. But that whole idea, in utter dependence upon Jesus Christ, and then it says, by God's grace in these six common disciplines, and I found myself praying that every day in such a meaningful way. And then John Wesley's prayer about, I am no longer my own, hmm. but, but mine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. And just what a powerful prayer that is when I was in time of need of discernment, encouragement, wisdom, or strength. And wow. how, how it was, some days it was literally palpable, right? I mean, it was just, it's like breathing in. I just felt like the Holy Spirit infilling me. And then, now I don't know. I came across to others whether I had any wisdom or sermon, but, <laughs> right, yeah. but I felt confident in a way that, because I didn't have a background in counterterrorism. In fact, Director Mueller, well, others had asked me before he asked me to come and serve in this position in the counterterrorism. And I said no, because I didn't have the background. Yeah. And I felt like a good leader, somebody who knows the way, shows the way, and goes the way. I said, I don't know the way. I don't know counterterrorism. That's a specialty. And yet when the director asked me personally, it's kind of like you stand up, salute, or, or you leave the organization. So <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> I decided to stand up and salute and then yeah. ask for God's strength. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm taken back to that moment you were just sharing. And there you find yourself in front of the president. Mm. And you could have been very easily tempted to, to make it up on the spot oh, or embellish or whatever. Yeah, right. However, the consequence to that could have been incredible because he's going to make decisions. Right. Based yeah, exactly. on right. you're the I, expert. Yeah, exactly. Bringing that. That's why right. I'm there, to inform. So I want to just maybe just kind of then correlate that to leadership in the marketplace sure. today. You know, What advice would you have for anyone listening to this conversation right now who would ever find themselves in a situation where mm. they there's an answer they think they'd like to give because they think it might be advantageous, Sure, but they know it's not 
A, the truth, or B, maybe they are making it up. What advice would you have? Well, yeah, I just think, you know, what we're, we're directed to do to, about being rooted and grounded in love and speak the truth in love. And for me, uh, Micah 6.8, you know, come to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And if you're <laughs> embellishing, exaggerating even, uh, then that's, in my mind, that's not walking humbly with your God. Yeah. Because what I found is I needed to be very closely aligned to what I understood, the, the biblical uh, guidance and direction. Yes. And if I wasn't, then I was going to get in deep trouble, as I would have that day in the yeah. Oval Office if I'd gone on uh, and opined about something and it was wrong. Yeah. Now, it might have been right, but that would have been lucky. And worse than, yeah, the president making a bad decision, I mean, that would have been bad. But then for just from a personal standpoint, you lose all credibility if you are not seen as, as being a person either of integrity or you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's why you're there, right? Yes. There's, there's eight or nine people in the Oval Office, and you're briefing on something that you're the subject matter expert, so you better know what you're talking about. Yeah. So you don't want to admit, ah, oh, I don't know. That's right. So, you know, if you're if you're in business and you find yourself sitting across the desk from your customer and you, you really hope to get the sell or get mm-hmm. the partnership or whatever, the reality and what we're hearing here is if you don't know the answer, mm-hmm. go ahead and admit that. Yes, exactly. Right? Just give me a little time. Let me come back. But sure. Let's not make it up. Let's not embellish and so forth. So you had an amazing career in the government. We've talked mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. And then four years ago. Yes. You were asked to come in as president, the fifth president right. here at Anderson University. Right. What's this four-year journey been like for you? Oh, it's been amazing. Right? Just uh, a journey, one, of uh, exploration and discovery since I didn't have a background in higher ed. And so, again, I felt so when I became the head of counterterrorism, when I became the deputy director of the FBI, when I became the head of TSA, and now the, the head of the university, I didn't feel qualified for any of those jobs. And so... If you were in my office, uh, your listeners could see a plaque over here that says that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So I've had a strong sense of calling, God's calling to each of these positions. And so it's been for an amazing journey of discovery. And so, okay, God, you brought me here. Yeah. What do you have and how can I bring honor and glory onto you? So for me, it's been both that, that journey of discernment okay, am I sensitive to the the Holy Spirit's prompting and how God may be obviously speaking through Scripture, of course, but then working through other people and circumstances? And then once I have a sense of discernment, am I not only open to, but am I obedient? And for me, that's been the key that I have sensed uh, really in the last last 20 years of decisions of saying yes to certain things, and I've said no to some things, too. They um, had asked me to head up another federal agency when I was still at the FBI, and I just thought, no, that just doesn't seem a piece. I was interviewed a couple years ago about a position back in government, and I just didn't feel at peace that that was what God was calling me to. Somebody asked me about it 10 years ago. I said, oh, my goodness, that's my (laughs) dream job. Yeah, yeah. And it just didn't seem right at the time. And what I had to wrestle with, well, what happens if I was asked to serve and how would I respond? So I actually dealt, dealt with that, which is a different story. So... You, you use the term calling. Yes. And very this much tru- so. truly is your calling. And so there, there's an interesting story of how you ended up coming here as president of Anderson University. Well, Why don't you tell us that? Well, yeah, thanks, Ray. Yeah, so I was government for over 31 years between the FBI and TSA. And one day I got a call from a friend of mine who I knew from associated with Anderson University. 
And he said, John, the, the president of the university is thinking about retiring in the next few years. He's been here going on 25 years, and, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about his successor. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm honored. Let me uh, give that some thought, and I'll call you back tomorrow with some names of some people. And he kind of chuckled. He said, well, no, you don't understand. A small group of us got together and think that you would be a good next president. Well, then I started chuckling. I actually started laughing because I knew Anderson University was was a dry campus, no drinking allowed. But I thought, what are they smoking out there in Indiana? <laughs> uh, because I thought uh, the four presidents in the 100-year history were ordained ministers and had a terminal degree, the highest degree in, in higher ed in their discipline, other than the first president who served 39 years and was described as a visionary. And so I uh, said, whoa, well, that's, that's crazy. But, yeah, let me, uh, let me think about it and get back with you. So I went home that night. I almost didn't say anything to my wife because she's from the D.C. area where we lived at the time, of course, with the government. Um, and we just had never talked about uh, moving back to, to Indiana. But I thought, you know, if somebody reaches out for her, I should at least give her a heads up. And so I, I, I shared with her, hey, Kathy, I got an interesting call today. And, and uh friend asked me uh, if, if I'd be willing to con- throw my name in to be considered, not that I, they were mm-hmm. offering the job, that's a trustee's job, uh, for the president of the university, because she's also a grad. And she kind of looked at me, and she's, she's very loving and kind, but also direct. She said, well, you're not interested in that, are you? <laughs> and I said, well, no, but it's intriguing, and it's, it's an honor. And then she said, and then she said Besides, you're not qualified, right? I said, no, well, that's true. I'm not because I'm not ordained and I don't have a <laughs> terminal degree. She said, okay, as long as you understand. <laughs> and so I got back with my friend the next day and said, hey, I'm honored, but no, it's not going to happen. And, and he said, well, okay, I just want to make sure because he'll probably announce here in the next few months. And I just thought, boy, if you were – anyway, nothing more. Three days later, went home after work, had dinner, sat down on the couch – my wife, Kathy, was reading a book on one in the couch. I was sitting there with my iPad catching up some sports scores. She closed her book and turned toward me. So I actually closed the iPad, even though I was looking at all the scores, and put it down and turned toward her without saying anything else. She just looked me right in the eye, and she said, Where you go, I'll go. Whom you serve, I'll serve. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. And she started, you know, tearing up a little bit, and I did too. And I just, I got goosebumps. I said, "Do you know what you're saying?" She said, "Well, if this is a God thing, shouldn't we be open to it?" So it meant her moving away from friends and family. So yeah, she went to school here in Indiana, but she was, she's an East Coast girl. And so here at this point of our lives, when most of my friends and colleagues are retiring and becoming chief security officers at Fortune 500 companies and having, frankly, a fairly easy life and, and all that, she was saying yes to the possibility. So I got back with my friend, and, and uh, yeah, I said, you're not going to believe this, but uh, so what's the next step? He said, well, let me talk to the president. And so in a nutshell, he then went in and, and saw the president. It took about a week and said, hey, I want to talk to you about a potential successor. He said, well, before you do that, I want to share with you, he'd been talking to a mentor of his, and that mentor said to the president, if you could pick anybody as your successor, it would be. And he said, you know, the name that came to mind is John Pistol. Oh, my goodness. And so six months later, the trustees voted for me as the president of the university, and I just, it's such a God story because, it one, it wasn't on my radar as even a possibility. Yeah, yeah. And so just how God is at work. And so I just as encouragement to your listeners, 
be open to how God may be working in your life, even in ways completely uh, unforeseen right now. That's amazing. Sounds to me like a Holy Spirit setup. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's a great way to describe it, Ray. That's, that's fantastic. I'd like to talk, John, a little bit about I want to get into what, what's so cool and unique about Anderson University, mm, some of the programs yeah. and things that you've started here since coming back as president. Yes. But let's talk briefly. What are some of the challenges facing Christian higher ed today? Yeah. So, And it's not just Christian higher ed. It's, it's uh, four-year schools, liberal arts schools. There's so much competition between, for example, online education. So you can get an online degree probably quicker and less costly than you can a resi- obviously a residential program such as we have here at Anderson University. And then there's community colleges, uh, some great ones here in Indiana and, and other states. And then so many um, jobs in this the new economy, I'll call it, you don't have to have a college degree. So we are challenged, we at Anderson, but again in, in higher ed across the board, and perhaps particularly so in Christian higher ed, where Christianity is frankly under attack. Is that something that's relevant? So we talk about three things. that We need to be distinctive, compelling, and relevant. So what makes Anderson University distinctive? What makes it compelling that somebody is willing to invest so they'll get a return on investment that may be dollars and cents and something, but it may be in kingdom building, and it may be in terms of you know, winning souls for Christ and things that that on a balance sheet doesn't look, yeah. look all that compelling. And then we need to be relevant. So are we helping equip students for jobs in the real world, maybe in ministry, but maybe in ministry in daily life, like what I feel like I've experienced. I didn't feel called to ministry to be ordained, but I have felt a call in, in my adult life to be the hands and feet of Christ wherever God put me. I love that. And I thought, again, I thought I was going to be a rich, successful lawyer for, for all my career. And so I'm on my... My third career past that that I never planned on. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about being distinctive and compelling and relevant, relevant, right? right? So with your background, your expertise, and your career, you have brought in some really very cutting-edge programs here at Anderson. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so one of the things I learned is just how how things work at the university level. And so when I talked to the provost, who was the academic dean here, after I'd been here six months, I said, why don't we start a... um, maybe a national security and a cybersecurity uh, major, you know, programs in that. She said, hmm, well, that sounds like a good idea. I said, okay, we'll just tell the faculty. And, and she kind of smiled at me. She said, well, um, the faculty will be teaching the classes, uh, right, and, unless you're going to. I said, well, yeah, of course faculty's going to do it. She said, well, it's a good idea to get their, their buy-in on it <laughs> to make sure that that's something they think is a good idea. So I was used to running TSA, a 60,000-person organization, and it, if I spoke it, then it meant it was a good idea. I mean, in a sense, unfortunately. Um, I had some good advisors who said, that's not such a good idea. And so we worked through it. And fortunately, we had some gifted faculty, some great background, who could put the, the curriculum together, and within a year, start offering cybersecurity and national security. And so we're part of what's known as the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, 175-plus 
uh, Christian universities across the country, and, and we're the only one today, even three years later, that offers both national security and cybersecurity. And both of those are huge growth fields. We can't graduate enough people to do that. We also added computer engineering and, and sport marketing, which are all both relevant, and then a complementary major in Christian spiritual formation. For those who want to go deeper in their walk with Christ, both with an academic perspective, but they're just also in a very real, real world, what does it mean to live out my faith? Then going back on the national security side, I worked with some, some great people and I've invited a number of them to campus. For example, uh, we've had you know, Robert Mueller, who I mentioned before. We just had John Ashcroft, former attorney general who on 9-11. Uh, we had Senator Kelly Ayotte, former senator from New Hampshire, and then current Indiana governor as our commencement speaker this year. Last year, we had former Attorney General Eric Holder, third longest-serving, first African-American, and then John Brennan, CIA director, and Jim Clapper. And people, regardless of politics, people who have been policymakers and influential people who have come and not one of them is charged a speaker's fee. They come, they do it out of the goodness of their heart. They want to give back. I think they may think I can still put them on the no-fly list of the TSA. <laughs> that, that's not true, but it's a good thing to, to have in your back pocket. Just to get, I think you really do want to come speak on campus at Anderson University, don't you? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> so, so we've been blessed with some just some great folks who have helped uh, us be distinctive, compelling, and relevant. Yeah, and I'm sure you never in your wildest dreams oh. anticipated someday you'd be able to come back and not only influence, but bring about oh. real change in an instant institution yeah. that's meant so much to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I graduated years ago, and obviously cybersecurity and national security were unheard of in, yes. in those days. Then also, again, the Christian spiritual formation. What does that mean? Yeah. Because our, our mission statement is to equip students and help prepare them for a life of service in the church and society. So we still have a, a Christ-centered focus of trying to equip future pastors and leaders in church and parachurch organizations. But we realize most of our students are going out into the secular world. And, and the better we can equip them with understanding what it means to be a Christ follower, and we use Romans 12, 1 and 2 as part of our basis for that. So, so what does it mean to live a transformed life? Yeah. And how do, how do they live that out? So, You talked earlier about the number of followers of Christ that you found right. within those high levels of government and so forth. And that was an environment that maybe you would have expected not to be faith-friendly. Right. So what advice would you have for someone who's listening to the program who maybe they're in a company or an environment, an organization that maybe they're they're thinking it's not really like okay to talk much about their faith. How can they live out their faith in a in a hostile environment, or at least yeah. an environment they perceive to be hostile? Right. No, that's a great question, Ray. And so I think my my advice would be first be rooted and grounded in the Word and know who you believe in God and Christ, why you believe it, and what difference that makes in your life, and then pray to God, ask for God to give you opportunities, basically prompts. To, that somebody say, you know, I noticed uh, you're really calm about this situation. What is it about you? Whatever that may be, but pray for those opportunities and then be open to those opportunities and then be obedient, as I said before, to responding to those prompts. Because if they're they're godly given, then obviously that's what you've been praying yeah. for, right? And, yeah. and what higher calling is to be doing exactly what 
God is leading you to do. So that would be the one thing I would say, and so be open and available. Yeah, I was fortunate in TSA, for example, going around the country and doing town halls with employees. And inevitably, you know, I'd talk about where we're going and all this, and they say, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So I'd share my testimony. Yeah. So eight times out of ten, I would say, God gave me an opportunity. I wouldn't force it yeah. if nobody said, hey, tell us about yourself. But Christ in me is talking about myself. And so inevitably afterwards, somebody would come up afterwards, hey, great to know that there's a, a Christ follower you know, at the, at the lead and, or somebody sent me an email or something. And, and so just those connections. So, again, praying for the opportunities, knowing who you are, who yeah. you are, and then being open to and obedient to how God may lead you. Nah, I love it. I love it. Well, John, the last question that we always ask here mm. at Bottom Line Faith. So if you're a regular listener, you know what I'm about to ask. <laughs> if you're a first-time listener, the last question that we ask every single one of our guests is based out of Proverbs 4.23, where Solomon writes, above all else, guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. Mm. And so let's say you're towards the tail end of this side of eternity, sure. and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, mm. your loved ones, those who are most important to you, and you get to pass along one piece of advice. I'd like you to pass along that piece of advice sure. to our audience here at Bottom Line Faith. So fill in the blank for us. Yeah. Above all else. Mm, mm, mm. And what a great question. What great scripture, Ray. And again, thank you for your, your program and, and your ministry here. So I mentioned Micah 6, 8 earlier. Just, I just think it's, you know, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? For me, that really sums up how I feel God has called me in my life. And it's interesting to do justice. So I worked for the Department of Justice, FBI. Uh, to love mercy, well, I think most people think of, of law enforcement or even TSA as trying to prevent bad people from doing bad things or trying to fix things after the fact. Well, there's different ways of doing that, and you can do it with a sense of grace and mercy that that would not be the human side of things. So that's the, the grace-filled part that comes from God. And then just walk humbly with your God. In addition to the number of Christ followers that I met in government and, and outside, there was a lot of people really full of themselves. Yeah. And what a difference it makes when you come across a humble Christ follower. And I've just been so blessed to get to know some being a relationship of sharing of of strengths and, and different things. And so I just think that scripture just sums it up in terms of above all else, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Micah six eight. Micah six eight. John, thank you for your yeah, time thank today. You, Ray. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode here at the program where we're intersecting faith and leadership in the marketplace. Go to our website if you've not been before at bottomlinefaith.org. We have over a hundred of similar interviews there. And uh, I get asked a lot, what is something we can do to help get this message out? I would just say, share this on your Twitter, share it on your Facebook, share it on your Instagram, whatever social media platforms that you're on. Please help us get the word out about Bottom Line Faith. We really are seeing leaders in the marketplace be influenced and shaped living out their faith. So until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith every day at work. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 